Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 4 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This morning's message was aimed at helping us have the right attitude, the attitude of gratitude. And we talked about being thankful. And tonight's message, we're kind of looking the opposite direction. And what we want to do is guard against having the wrong attitude. And so we'll look at here at something that sometimes trips us up. And uh, this is one of those preventative messages, right? We'll, uh, we'll just get the victory over, over the devil before this all gets started. And we thank the Lord that we can do that because of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you found your place, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll have prayer and then begin reading in verse 4. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you tonight, how we thank you for your precious word. And Lord, we thank you especially for this instruction tonight that helps us to guard against the wrong perspective, the wrong attitude that we can contend with at times in life when we struggle with these things. And Lord, if we'll follow your instructions, those that we'll read about tonight, we can get the victory. And so we pray you'd help us do that in advance. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 4, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. And I wanted you to focus on that last verse, verse 11. Paul's dealing with the subject of unforgiveness. And he says in verse 11, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I just want to preach on that thought tonight, the devil's devices. And we're going to talk about this one that seems to catch so many and ask the Lord to give us victory. Thank you. You may be seated. In this passage, we find Paul contained a statement that we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. It was Paul's desire that Christians should not be overtaken by the devil's craftiness. In a manner of speaking, Paul was just saying, we know how he works. And if we know how the devil works ahead of time, then we shouldn't fall for his traps and his tricks. He shouldn't be able to catch us in the snares that he so craftily lays for us. In fact, a careful look at the context of this passage of Scripture reveals one of the devil's strongholds 
up close. And that is the stronghold of unforgiveness. And sometimes things come between us, especially as, as believers, we, we need to understand this truth in what Paul is teaching us here. That the devil can get a stronghold in our lives, in our hearts, through this matter of unforgiveness, not being able to let go of a grudge or an offense or a hurt, whatever the case might be. And Paul was writing about this case. There was a, a time in the Corinthian church where they had to exercise discipline toward a brother. And in, in instances like that, the goal is, is not ostracization here. It, it's not to totally outcast someone. The, the, the goal is reconciliation. And when that brother repents then, what we are instructed to do is forgive them and, and reunite and reconcile with them. So Paul is writing in this text, and he is encouraging them to do just that. Forgive this brother. Receive him once again. In verse 8, I thought it was powerful. He said, confirm your love toward him. We need to know when the time is to do that. It is when someone repents. We certainly do not want to allow unforgiveness to plague us to set up a stronghold in our life, in our hearts. With that in mind tonight, let's look at what the Bible says, and this is not going to be long, but look at what the Bible says about holding grudges and what that can do. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, and let's look at Matthew chapter 5. A couple of verses there, 23 and 24. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll look at these two verses, 23 and 24. So in Matthew, Jesus says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. This is a powerful truth, but the Lord is trying to put in perspective here. He uses the word first to highlight the priority for us. It's not the offering that we bring to God, but He said, first, be reconciled to your brother. Then He said, come and offer your gift. Isn't that interesting that until our hearts are right, God is not even interested in the offering that we're bringing. You know, it's kind of like in that Old Testament story when King Saul disobeyed the commandment of God to, to wipe out all the Amalekites. You remember that? He brought back the best of the sheep and the best of the flocks. He, he took the king as a hostage and he brought back uh, people and, 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 and cattle and, and, and all of that. And uh, as they approached Israel, God had already spoken to the prophet Samuel and Samuel went out to meet them. And Samuel confronted Saul that he had disobeyed the Lord. And Saul, before Samuel could get a word out, seeing him come, Saul said, hey, we've obeyed the Lord. And Samuel said, if you obeyed the Lord, he said, then, then what? What is this bleeding of the sheep I hear? And then Samuel said something powerful back to Saul that we all need to remember. He said, obedience is better than sacrifice. 
God wants us to obey the instructions that he gives us in life, especially in this matter of reconciliation. And so Jesus himself says, first, go be reconciled with your brother, then come and offer your gift. Why? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. It's a powerful lesson that God is teaching us about this heart matter of grudges and offenses and what it can cause. We're in the book of Matthew. Now, if you would, turn a few pages over to chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is a, is a wonderful passage that's referred to often. Even, in, even as a church family, we find answers there about how to deal with difficulties and offenses. Because God gave us in Matthew 18 the recipe, if you will, for handling offenses. Now, it doesn't come natural to us to do this. So if you follow these steps, it is a learned behavior. It is a determination of obedience on your part to do it this way instead of the way your flesh would normally cause you to operate. But in Matthew 18, look at verse 15. This is what Jesus said, the way we should handle an offense. This has become the pattern of the New Testament church for dealing with offenses. In verse 15, he said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. We can just stop right there for a moment. And you can write step one next to that verse. Step one in most of our minds is to tell everybody but him. We get upset, we start talking, we tell everybody, let me tell you what old so-and-so did to me. But the Bible says what we should do first is first go to our brother and it says tell him. We have no right to tell anyone else until we've told him or her in this case. Go to the person. Go to the person that caused the offense. I think probably when motives are clear, 90% of the time at least, that will clear up the matter. Often you will find when you go to that person, you'll find that what you thought was not what they intended. What you heard is not what they meant. And you can clear up the matter immediately by just going to them and saying, you know, I was thinking about something you said. It really bothered me. I wanted to come talk to you about this. This is what you said. And often we can clear that up. Most of the time, in my experience, it has been a misunderstanding or something of that nature. And when you go to them, it gives them the opportunity then to straighten it out. Hey, that's not what I meant at all. You remember, we were talking about this. And in that context, I was thinking of this other thing. And believe me, you can hear a statement by someone and your mind can go completely the opposite direction of what they intended or what they were thinking when they said it. I know that's true because there have been occasions when people have listened to my preaching and their mind raced into something that I, didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about. You know, I'm not the Holy Spirit. 
And I don't know everything about you that you know about you. And it's possible for me to say something and you be thinking, oh, who told him? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what you know, but you think I know. Just because God took something I said and got your attention with it. And I've had people come to me and ask me. I've had to go to people because I could tell something ain't quite right. And when, I, when we started talking about it, I realized, oh, you know, you, you, you took something I said and, you know, it meant something to you that, that, that I wasn't even thinking. But, but going to them gave me a chance to clarify that. You know, it makes me wonder, I wonder how many times that's happened that I didn't even know about and didn't even have a chance to go back and clarify. I wonder how many people are running around thinking something that's totally false because they never came to ask about a conclusion that they made, something that I wouldn't have even known to ask about. Isn't it it amazing how sometimes our mind and hearts can work? But remember, behind the scenes, in all of this, the devil is working to pit us against one another to stir grievance and hurt and offense. And the devil would love nothing more than you and I to hold grudges and start battling one another and building a case in your mind. It's a plot, you know, he's against me. When when nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes the devil is successful at getting us convinced that somebody's out to get us or somebody has a wrong motive Because once we get to a wrong conclusion, then we start seeing other things that we think verifies our perspective. You know, it's really a dangerous place to be because the devil knows how to help you build that case. He's really good at that. And all that does is drive a wedge between good friends, between brethren, even sometimes between family members. That's why Jesus said in verse 15, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Because, you know, if that's just a misunderstanding, if it's all not true anyway, then really nobody else should know anything about it. Because one thing I've learned in ministry is this. You cannot cure a third-party offense. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'll give an example. So if I thought Brother John had said something against me and it hurt my feelings and I went and told Brother Richard, man, Brother Richard, Brother John was mean to me. You know what he said? All of a sudden, Brother Richard gets upset. Not at me, at Brother John. How dare he say that to our pastor? Man, I'll tell you what, next time I see him, right? Well, then I run into Brother John during the week And he happens to bring up our topic. And so I asked him, what did you mean by that? He clarifies, oh, man, really? I totally misunderstood that. Oh, we hug each other. We get it right. High five. God bless your brother. And we're good. And we go on about our merry way. Wait a minute. Brother Richard's still offended. Man, he's still over here upset on the sidelines. He has no idea that we reconciled and we got it all fixed. Guess what? Come Sunday, he's still mad at Brother John. And do you know most people who go around and and talk about offenses, do you know most people 
really never make it back around again to say, hey, we got everything right. Brother John's a good guy. He really didn't mean anything like what I thought. We just don't, we're not that good at cleaning up those messes that we make. It's kind of like that story. I'm sure you've heard it. Where the lady was bad-mouthing the preacher and all that. And one day she came up to apologize. She said, preacher, somebody set me straight. And I just want you to know all that stuff I said about you is not true. And I'm sorry. And he said, well, thank you so much. He said, well, I forgive you. I love you in Christ and I forgive you. And I'm glad we got it straightened out. He said, but I want you to do something for me on the way home. She said, what's that? He turned around and grabbed a pillow and he said, here, I want you to cut this open. And on the way home, I want you to let all these feathers fly out the window. And when you get home, I want you to call me. Just go straight home and give me a call. And she said, I want you to watch what happens to these feathers. She thought, well, that's, that's really strange, but okay. Pastor, if that's what you want me to do. So she took the pillow and she cut it open and she got in the car and she held it out the window and drove all the way home. And sure enough, feathers went everywhere. She got home and thought, what a mess that made. They went everywhere. And so she got home and just like the preacher said, she called him up and said, okay, pastor, I made it home. He said, good. What about the pillow? What pillow? She said, it's empty. All them feathers, they blew everywhere. I mean, they are all over the highway. The wind took them things. I mean, those feathers. He said, okay. He said, look, now I want you to get in the car and come back. And along the way, I want you to stop and pick up all those feathers. She was just astounded. She said, Pastor, there is no way that I'm even going to find all those feathers. I mean, they are gone. I'm telling you, they really blew when I was going down the road. I mean, they went everywhere. And he said, I know. I don't really expect you to go pick up all those feathers. He said, but that's kind of what it's like when you go around talking about somebody. He said, when you find out you were wrong, you can't take it all back, can you? Our words are just like those feathers. They just go everywhere. They get repeated over and over and over. He said, that's why this is so bad. And, of course, he apologized. But you get the point, right? This is why Jesus said, when we have an offense, we should go to the person and get it straightened out. The sooner the better. Before the winds blow before they get carried in every direction. Go to thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, Jesus said, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. What is this? This is another layer of effort that you're going to make to reconcile with your brother. This time, though, taking witnesses because if the brother has done wrong and he never repents, there is another step coming. If he will not hear you and he will not repent and he will not get right, there is a recourse. It is not for you to take. It's a recourse that God will use in his life. Verse 17, and if he shall 
If he shall neglect to hear them, talking about the witnesses, it says, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Paul later elaborates on this, and he talks about the goal and why, why as a church family, when we get to this very last resort, did you understand that? This is the very last resort. When nothing can be worked out, no reconciliation can be made, and the offender refuses repeatedly to repent. What do you do? then the church puts this man out. It's what the Corinthians had to do. And when he repented, Paul is writing back to them and saying, now that he's repented, now it's time to receive him again and forgive him. Because the goal is not just to kick someone out. The goal is to restore fellowship. Fellowship could be restored at step one in verse 15. If, if he would hear thee and you bring and you come to a conclusion that is right and you come to an understanding that is peaceful. In worst case scenario, we have to go through all these steps and we have to exclude a member from the fellowship. The love of the brethren should be so strong, the strength of the family of God and the brotherhood of the saints should be so strong that the thought of being put out of the church should motivate us to repentance. It should make one willing. Somebody who was not willing before, now they are willing to repent and get right. Why? Because they miss, they miss the fellowship. So it moves them to reconciliation and they come back. And then when this happens, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to forgive them and receive them and confirm our love toward them. That's the reason for this whole process. So the Lord Jesus gave us some instructions. These instructions are generally what people refer to, but there's more. Sometimes we wonder, okay, well, you got old so-and-so over here. He's, you know, he's the regular one, the regular repeater. What do we do with him? Peter had a question like that. Look at verse 21. Then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? I guess Peter thought, you know, that's that's a high number there. This is a repeat offender, seven. Man, perfect number, number of completion. Am am I going to forgive him seven times, Lord? And in verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times 7. That's a lot. That's more than you can count on both hands. The Lord Jesus was helping to emphasize to them that it's important that we don't let Satan get an advantage. It's important that we don't allow this wedge that divides us to stay there. Let's remove it as often as we can. Seventy times seven. Look at verse 23. He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, 
One was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. And the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. This little story beautifully depicts forgiveness. It's a picture of the forgiveness we have received from our heavenly Father. We receive that forgiveness not because we deserve it or we're worthy of it, but just because we ask. God the Father forgave me my debt because of Jesus. And so then our Father says, should we not also forgive our brother because of Jesus? This is God's will for us. This is what God wants us to do. So he tells this story to show us the importance of forgiveness. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. We're almost finished. Hebrews chapter 12. And notice what the Hebrew writer says. You may be wondering, well, you know, what, what if it's not that easy? What if they really offended me? What if they really hurt my feelings? If you hold a grudge, if you don't forgive, not only is God going to be upset with you, because you did not forgive as he forgave you, like this passage that we just read. But something's going to happen to you. It's like being bitten by a snake. It's not the bite so much as the venom that's dangerous to your health. And spiritually speaking, our health becomes affected when we refuse to forgive. It's not so much the offense but it's, it's what the offense causes in us that God wants to make sure that we take care of. And there's two reasons, practically speaking, two reasons why we should forgive others. This is one of them. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 15. It says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. 
and thereby many be defiled. You know, bitterness is like a poison. And it doesn't hurt the person that you're bitter about, but it hurts you. It spoils you. It changes you. It affects you. And because it affects you so negatively, it begins to affect everyone around you because it affects how you begin to treat other people. And it begins to spread. Bitterness is contagious. And God instructed us in His Word to forgive. One of the reasons for that is to prevent that bitterness from taking root in our hearts. So that we don't carry the poison. That it may not cause us to become bitter and ugly and cynical. It doesn't change who we are. God instructed us to forgive. Now listen, whether somebody who offends us, whether they repent or not, our instruction is to forgive them. But I don't, I don't announce my forgiveness to them until they repent. Why? Well, this is another sermon, but you can write this down in your notes if you're taking notes. Forgiveness without repentance is license. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he had them cast out that brother. Why? Because he refused to repent. And it was not until after he repented that Paul wrote back and said, now receive him again. Paul didn't write in the beginning and said, well, now just love one another. That's not what he said. He said, this brother's living in sin. Put him out of your fellowship. So they did that. And when he repented, now Paul's writing and saying, okay, now bring him back. Now restore him. Because putting him out did its job. God worked on his heart. He repented. Okay, now we bring him back and we receive him and confirm our love toward him. And so we, we understand that process. That's why you never, you don't announce your forgiveness. You don't proclaim that without repentance. Because if you do, you are now becoming an enabler to the offender. You are enabling their offensive behavior. And when you do that, they will not change. You just gave them a ticket. You know, the get-out-of-jail-free card. You just said, what you did to me is okay. It's not okay. Now, we're not going to hold a grudge because Jesus told us to forgive, but we don't want to communicate to the offender that, that your wrongdoing is okay. It's not okay. Let God deal with them, and we're going to see that in a moment. We're going we're to forgive in our hearts... And if that person repents, then we can go and proclaim that forgiveness. We forgive in our hearts first, whether they ask for it or not. And the reason we do that is so that the root of bitterness does not take root in us. We kill it instantly. But there's a second reason why we forgive, whether they ask for it or not. 
Um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's go to, um, well, let's just go there. Romans chapter 12. Let's go to Romans 12. Just close with this one. Romans chapter 12. And look with me at verse 19. Romans 12 is a great chapter, by the way. I used to call it the Christian's vitamins. You know, you get your, your vitamin bottle out, and it's vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin D, whatever. You got all these vitamins in there, and the list goes on. And then all these good stuff for you, right? Romans 12 is like that. I mean, every verse has something. Man, do this, do that, do that. It's all good. And if you can practice what Romans 12 teaches, you're on your way to becoming a good Christian. It's just strong, powerful medicine that's good for everyday life. Look at verse 19. He says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The reason why people don't forgive sometimes is because they want to make that person pay for what they did. They want to see them pay, even if it's not at their hand. We want them to get what's coming to them, bless God. And they will. But let me ask you a question. What do you think would happen to you as a believer if you took something that belonged to God? You say, preacher, I would never do that. I'm sure Aiken said that one day. You remember Aiken, don't you? One of Israel's finest citizens in the Old Testament. You know, they were coming into the promised land, and God gave them instructions. And when you take the city, the first city, he said, don't touch anything. The spoils of the city of Ai, remember God said, those are mine. So they won the victory. They took Ai. And, and uh, Achan, remember he saw some goodies. The Babylonian garment, the wedge of silver and gold. He said, man, there's some good stuff right here. And he looked around and he said, there's plenty of this. Hey, nobody will miss these couple of things. So he took them. God said, leave it alone. Achan took it. So what you're, what you're observing there is the principle of the tithe. God said, the first fruits belong to me. All right? So the tithe is God's. But Achan took that. When God says something is mine, our job then is to give it to him. It's to make sure that he gets what belongs to him. Achan was punished for taking that. You know the story? He wouldn't repent. He wouldn't get right. He had a chance after chance to, to, to come clean and tell the story. He wouldn't do it. And so finally, judgment was cast. He was taken outside the city and stoned, and all his belongings were burned to purify Israel from the sin that he created by taking what belonged to God. Now read Romans 12, verse 19 again, and think about your feelings of not wanting to let go what did God say? Verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is... 
mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance does not belong to us. And so you and I, the best thing we can do is let that go and give it to God. I don't know about you, I have found that God is better at keeping score than I am. God is better at settling the score than I am. And you know, you've heard the saying, it just ain't over till it's over. And I know this, when we get to heaven, God's going to set everything right. We already know the Bible tells us about that. He's going to, we're going to, listen, we're going to have the judgment seat of Christ. The world's going to, you talk about reset. Hey, it's coming. Not, not what the world leaders of today have in mind, but, but God has the great reset all planned. It's coming to a galaxy near you. But he's going to do it right. And we can trust the way God is going to take care of things. Tonight, if someone has offended you, if they've wronged you, if they've treated you unjustly, whether they repent or not, I want you to know that God will take care of that. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. He didn't say, I might repay. He didn't say, I want to repay. He said, I will repay, saith the Lord. And God wants to do that His way in His time on His terms. That's why you and I have to let it go. Just let it go. Don't take what belongs to God. Let that offense go. Forgive them. Put them in God's hands. When Paul taught the New Testament church to put someone out of fellowship, that is exactly what they were doing. They were putting them out from under that umbrella of protection into the hands of God that they might be judged. And that's what you and I are doing. When we let go of vengeance and we forgive someone and we put it in God's hands, hey, listen, they are being set up for God to take over. Let Him do it. It doesn't pay to carry all that around in your heart. It's just extra baggage for you. It's going to weigh you down. It's going to slow you down. It's going to hinder you. And it may turn into bitterness, which will affect you. It will infect you as well as affect you. It will turn you into something or someone that you don't want to be. When that happens, the devil gets the victory. You know, it's just like a snake bite. You get, you get scared of the slithery old serpent, and you fear the little, the little fangs, but, but none of that is the real problem. The real problem is the venom that gets injected. And you know, they say baby snakes are the worst because they don't know how to regulate their venom, so they just put it all in there. And they say those bites are the worst. And so it is in life. You know, a lot of times it's the little things, the little offenses that are like that baby snake bite. They just get us all out of sorts. They just turn our feelings sideways. We get where we can't function. Sometimes we can't even think straight. We can't even be in the same room with somebody. It's because we need to forgive. We need to let it go before it negatively affects you. Give it to God. It belongs to Him anyway. Jesus said, vengeance is mine.
So you and I tonight need to respect that and allow God His due. And let's, let's do what He taught us to do. Let's respond not the way we feel, because our flesh would want us to just get back. Get, give them a little of what they gave you, right? No. Well, the Bible says when we, when we love our enemies, when we pray for them that despitefully use us, the Bible says we're, we're heaping coals of fire on their head. And you probably hear that and you're thinking, oh, now we're talking preachers. Set them on fire. That's what I'm talking about. No, 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 no. That's not what God was talking about. You know, that picture of fire, you, you know what that was? That was a reference to the culture back in that day. What they would do is someone who, who needed warmth and shelter, what they would do is they would come to someone who had a fire. And the person who had a fire would take some of their coals and they would shovel them up and scoop them up and they would put them in a, in a pan and give them to their neighbor. And you know, in a lot of Eastern cultures, they carry things on their head. So they would carry that container of those hot coals back to their house on their head and they would use that then to provide warmth for their home and family. Now you're probably hearing that thinking, well, how's that going to help set things right? Well, think about how they're going to feel when that warmth comes and they know who gave it. It's the same way like you and I felt when we realized what Jesus did for us on the cross. He forgave us. It changed our whole life and our perspective. And then, didn't, didn't it make us want to forgive others? Didn't it make us want to tell others? Sure. You know, there's no better way to eliminate an enemy than to make him your friend. The Lord said, forgive, let it go. What happens after that is, is not up to us. Leave it in God's hands. Hopefully they'll repent and get right and, and eventually you'll be reconciled. But if not, God knows how to take care of that. He knows how to settle the score. He knows how to right the wrong. Let him take care of it. You trusted him for eternity. You trusted him to get you out of hell. Now, trust him to take care of this offense, this problem, this person. Certainly, he can do that. He does it better than we do. And the results are awesome. So let's follow God's instructions. Let's beat the devil at his own game. Let's make sure that, that no wedge comes between us and others or between us and the Lord because of unforgiveness. Tonight, just let it go. Give it to God and let him fight for you. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you tonight. How we thank you for this recipe that you've given us in our lives for peace, Lord, for understanding the way to be right with you. Lord, this morning, learning how to be thankful, understanding those keys, and then tonight, Lord, guarding against unforgiveness. Lord, we're, we're, we're protecting ourselves on both sides, and we're just following your instructions, your wisdom. And Lord, we ask you tonight for your help, your strength to do this. 
Lord, help us to let it go for real, to forgive truly. Lord, that we might be blessed and not burdened. Lord, that we might have joy and not bitterness. Lord, that we might be affected by your Holy Spirit and bring blessing to many and not spread the poison of bitterness and unforgiveness to others. Lord, we ask for your power and strength. Help us, Lord, to be able to do that, to stand firm, to let it go, to give it to you. Lord, vengeance is yours, and tonight we give it back. And we thank you for helping us get the victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.